high point of his faith. Chapter 22, verse 1, in the English Standard Version reads, And after these things God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. In verse 2, he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The testing of Abraham is Abraham's experience of God that went deeper than anything he had known of God to this point in his life. James, the book of James in the New Testament refers to this event in James 2.22 and says Abraham's faith was revealed by works, by his sacrifice, his dedication. It was brought to maturity by this event. He was not, he was not made righteous by it, but he was, his righteousness was revealed by it. 1 Peter 1.7 describes our faith. He says, The genuineness of your faith, which is much more precious than gold, is tested by fire, like gold. That is, trials. So, God does test us. But why does He do it? The fire purifies the gold and brings the pure gold to the surface. And note that Isaac is not a bad thing. In fact, Isaac is a blessing from God. Sometimes our greatest struggles will come when God speaks to us about something that's not a sin, but it's something he wants us to yield to him. And after uh, Abraham takes his son Isaac to the mountain that God showed him and is ready to plunge the knife into his heart, and God stops him and says, Abraham, in chapter 22, verse 12, he says, Now I know that you revere God. And now I have felt and experienced that you do love me and revere me above all other things. The word know in verse 12 means intimacy. You have experienced my heart. You've entered into a union with me that you have not been in before. Remember the, the verse uh, with Adam and Eve, and Adam knew and she conceived. The word know in Hebrew means to be intimate with in the, in the deepest fashion. And this is the word used here in 22.12. I know you now like I haven't known you before, Abraham. And there's an intimacy. God knows how Abraham felt in giving up his son. And Abraham 
knows how God felt when he gave up his son. So there is a union with God here that is brought to the surface, an intimacy he never had before. It's interesting in James 2 that I referred to, as James goes back to this instance with Abraham in chapter 22 of Genesis, James says that after this he was called a friend of God, a true friend of God, someone you can share the most intimate details of life with. So he experienced God, but, but we would also say that he was taught the gospel through this offering. Um, Isaac is a picture of Jesus. We've mentioned before that the Old Testament gives us pictures before it gives us the reality in the New Testament. Just like you teach your children to read, that you show them the pictures and you put the words with the pictures. So it's an, it, it teaches us the gospel before we get there, then we understand it clearly. Isaac is a picture of Jesus. Look at some of the likenesses. First, Isaac is his only beloved son. Look at uh, chapter 22 and verse 2. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Your beloved son, your only begotten son. This brings to mind, of course, John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He loved his son. So Isaac, being the unique, uniquely born, uniquely begotten, only beloved of the Father, he pictures Jesus. Also, it, the kind of offering he was to be, look at uh, 22, chapter 22, verse 2. He says, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, an offering as a burnt offering. A burnt offering. That was when the worshiper would bring a lamb or a goat or a ram to the priest at the tabernacle, and he would lay hands on the ram or the lamb confess his sins and they symbolically they would be imputed to that sacrifice and then they would be slain and burned. This represented the very wrath of God coming instead of the worshiper it came upon the substitute. See this is the picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. This this blameless, sinless Son of God substituted Himself in love for me that I might treat, be treated like Him, like He should have been treated. And He was treated like me, like I should have been treated. The great exchange, Leviticus 1 Verse 3 and 4 says, If the offering is a burnt offering, then he shall offer the male without blemish. He will bring it to the tent of meeting. 
and there he will be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So Abraham is seeing his beloved son as an atoning sacrifice. See, that picture is the gospel. It's the only sense you can make out of this. A third likeness of Isaac is that he he even carried the wood of his own altar. Look at verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. Now why that little detail? What does that matter? Well, it matters because in John 19, 16, they took Jesus. He went out bearing his own cross. See, that's the detail. That's how Isaac is like Jesus. He bore the wood on which he would die for our sins. And so Isaac pictures Christ in this. A fourth likeness is the specific mountain on which he would be sacrificed. Uh, In chapter 22, verse 2. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Why is that so important? I mean, Abraham knows how to build an altar. Go out to the backyard. And it says that, verse 4, it took three days to get there. Why all this trouble? Why all this displacement? Where is Moriah? It's not an unpopular place in the Old Testament. For example, in 1 Chronicles 21, David did a no-no. He took a census of the people which no king was supposed to do because it symbolized uh, ownership and uh, authority. God's people belonged to God, not to the king, to David. But David took the census without God's permission. And when he did, God sent a plague on his kingdom. And David was told by the prophet, you can go to a place... Near Jerusalem, there's a range of mountains, and there on one of those mountains, you'll find a man named Ornan. By his threshing floor, build an altar, and you'll be forgiven, and God will remove the judgment. A judgment had come. 70,000 men had died from the plague already. David goes to this mountain and he has this vision of an angel with this huge sword drawn, ready to smite Jerusalem more, even more. And David sacrificed on that mountain. And it says the angel put his sword in the sheath. Like Abraham on this mountain, stopped and put away his knife. And guess which mountain it was? 
David went according to 2 Chronicles 3.1 that Solomon was to build the temple on that mountain named Moriah where the angel had appeared to David. The same mountain, which we would add is the same mountain where God appeared to Abraham and said, put away the knife. Here's the thing. We're, we're seeing here that this mountain, the place of sacrifice, is where the angel puts up his sword. He sheaths the sword of judgment. Judgment hangs over everyone for their sins. We know that. But listen to what John says in John 5, 24. Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He passes from death to life. To hear God, to, to come to Christ, to trust in him, you do not come into judgment. You, there is no judgment. The bad things that happen to you are not judgments. They're, they may be chastisements, they may be circumstances God's arranging to put you in a certain place or with certain people, but they are not judgments once you come to Christ. God does not judge Christ and then judge you also. No, you, He judges Christ fully and finally and freely forever. And everything else will not harm you. Nothing else will harm you. It may, it's not to say it won't hurt you, but it won't harm you because it's not a judgment. A man became pastor of a church, a downtown church where there was a university, and he was called and preached his first sermon and preached about Christ going to the cross. And in the congregation that day was a professor who came forward after the sermon and he said to the man, to the pastor there, the new pastor, he said, I hope that you're not going to make too much of the blood in your ministry. And the pastor said, oh no, I'm not going to make too much of the blood because I don't think you can make too much of the blood. <laughs> Amen. And that's the way I feel this morning. My friend, Isaac came to picture Jesus as our sacrifice. One other thing, one final thing about Isaac as here picturing Jesus. But look at uh, verse 12 because it says, Do not lay your hand on the boy. The angel comes. He has his hand up, knife in hand, ready to plunge it. And God appears sends an angel and says, Abraham, stop. Now I know that you're willing. And Abraham, the knife that he was going to use to plunge it into his son, he uses to cut the cords, the bonds that held him, and he receives him back from the altar. Now there's an interesting verse in the New Testament. Um, Hebrews 11 can we put that up there, Hebrews 11? Chapter 
11 of Hebrews, verse 17. Here's what it says. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac, who he, the one who had received the promises, his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Verse 19. And he, that is Abraham, considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively, he did receive him back. What does that mean? Because he didn't actually carry through with with the execution. But in Abraham's heart, he didn't know God was going to let stop. He thought that Isaac would be killed and that God would raise him back up again. So there was a sense in which to Abraham, Isaac had, was already dead. And when he received him back, it was figuratively like the resurrection. That's the way the Father in the New Testament received Jesus the Son in the resurrection. He welcomed him and embraced him. In this resurrected, Isaac and Jesus are alike. And notice, if you will, another little detail, that this day on which he was received back to the Father, in verse 4, was the third day. Now isn't that interesting? It took them three days to get there, so this whole thing, including the reception of Isaac back to the bosom of Abraham, was on the third day. The same day Jesus was crucified and resurrected. And so in summary, we would say that Abraham experienced God, he was taught the gospel, but there's one third thing. He learned a valuable lesson that everybody was supposed to get, including us here today. It's in verse 14, Abraham's lesson. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, even today, On the mount of the Lord, it'll be provided. So here's here's the lesson. Our greatest need is forgiveness of sin. If God, through the sacrifice of His Son, will forgive us of our sin, and, and in order to do it, He's willing to give His only beloved Son Will he not with the him then give us freely everything we need? If he's going to give us his greatest gift, is he going to hold back lesser things? Let me ask you a question about if your fiancé has asked you to marry. Let's say he has gotten down on one knee and he has opened a box with a engagement ring and he has asked if you will marry him and he slips the ring on your finger as you affirm that yes you will marry him and 
put the box back in your pocket. And you say, could I have the box? And he says, no. I want to keep the box. I, I like the box. That would be stupid. That's the jerk I'm going to be talking about next Sunday. <laughs> Time to bail out. But here's the thing. If he's going to give you the diamond, he's not going to withhold the box, the lesser thing. So if God is going to provide his son in order to have your sins forgiven, he's going to put food on your table. He's going to provide you with a car so you can go to work. He's going to give you the lesser things. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8.31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Shall he not freely give us all things? Paul says if he gave you his son, how's he going to withhold anything? Because everything is lesser important after that. Abraham learns in this valuable lesson that the Lord will provide. It's not Abraham bringing his son to God. Abraham learned it's God bringing his son to Abraham. Hold the knife, Abraham. I'm not a God who makes you give up your son. I'm a God who will give up my son for you. Hallelujah. That's the God that I serve and I testify to today. You think God is one who requires you to give to him. No, friend. God, this God is a God that says put away your sacrifice I'm the God who's bringing the sacrifice to this worship service have you ever heard the phrase I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop have you ever heard that it's usually somebody who's pretty pessimistic how you doing well I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop Something bad's about to happen. I can feel it. Let me me, uh, tell you where that story comes from. Uh, A shoe salesman years ago had been out selling shoes all night, and it was late, and he got to his motel room. He was dead tired. He sat back on the bed, took off a shoe, and let it drop. Hit with a thud. And then he thought, oh man, somebody might be sleeping because it is late at night. So he took his other shoe off and he gently set it on the floor. Well, the next morning, a guy knocked on his door. And this guy looked awful. His hair was disheveled and his eyes were dark. And 
and he looked like he had had a sleepless night. And he said, man, what's wrong with you? What can I do to help? He said, I'm here to find out why the other shoe didn't drop. He said, I was awake all night waiting for the other shoe to drop. He said, oh, I, I took the other one and I set it down gently. Now, let me tell you, folks, here's an announcement. In the cross, the other shoe has already dropped. It dropped on Jesus. It dropped on the cross. So you can just rest easy, go to sleep and rest. I mean, don't literally go to sleep. In fact, wake up if you've been going to sleep. Because we don't have to look at the future pessimistically now. A judgment, the judgment has passed. It's as Isaiah said in chapter 61, 3. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, giving them beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for that spirit of heaviness. See, there's the normal worshiper in Christ. He's Instead of ashes, he's got beauty. Instead of mourning and depression, he's got the oil of joy. Instead of a spirit that's heavy, he's got a garment of praise. Glory to God. This is what the giving of Isaac teaches us as it teaches us the gospel of Christ. Let's bow together for prayer. And ushers, you come and let's worship this God, not because we're required, but we get to. We want to praise Him and love Him and worship Him forever. So let's give to Him this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for the gospel of Christ. Thank You how it's predicted and pictured in the Old Testament, but then it's brought to pass in the New. Thank you that you have taken our judgments and put them on the cross. May we walk humbly and faithfully all the days of our life as a response to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stand as we sing this last one. 